0: The Women of Color STEM Conference presents "Adapter Crash: Emerging Technologies' Impact on Today's Business," a professional development seminar featuring Business Process Manager for Fiat Chrysler Automobiles Quality Vehicle Safety and Compliance, Arundati Desai; Janice Ferrisimani of the Faris-Amani Group, and Senior Engineer for NetApp, Prabhamani. It wasn't that long ago when the technological buzzwords social, cloud, and mobile were being explored by businesses and changing the way we work. With new technology being developed faster than a company can learn and roll out to their employees, the next innovation question is, what's next? Artificial intelligence, augmented slash virtual realities, and the internet of things have been introduced to businesses. New additions to this growing list of technologies, such as voice capabilities, blockchain, quantum computing, robotics, and flexible screens have jumped into the mix of future technological advancements that will make businesses run smarter and faster. Join us for a look into the future as our panel discusses the challenge for business to determine how to position itself on the leading edge of innovation. Without further ado, the Women of Color STEM Conference presents "Adapt or Crash: Emerging Technologies' Impact on Today's Business," a professional development seminar featuring Arundati Desai, Janice Farisimani, and Prabha Mani.
1: Welcome back to the session. Hope you're all looking forward to this and uh, looking at, you uh, know, learning uh, some of the emerging technologies and how it is going to impact our lives or the business, whatever we are doing in uh, in our life, right? So, so the title is "Adapt or Crash." So, like 250 years ago, Charles Darwin said that. The one, the species, who is going to survive? Is it the species who are really intelligent of the species who are going to survive? Or it is really the strongest of the species who are going to survive? No, it is not. It is actually the one who is able to adapt to the changes who is going to be surviving. Otherwise, any anybody in this world, it could be technology or it could be human beings or it is any living being, they cannot really survive if they're not able to adapt to the change, right? So we are talking about all about the changes, how are the trends that are upcoming in the industry, tech industry especially, and how we have to really equip ourselves to adapt to the upcoming trends. And if not, what is the impact it is going to bring us? If so, how are we going to benefit it? So this is all about it. Uh, We're we're going to discuss on the panel about uh, different trends and its impact on the business, or it could be how it impacts your day-to-day life, or even how it could impact the society or your parenting style, whatever, right? So we're going to touch upon different technology trends, what is upcoming, what is available, and some examples. So welcome again. So I'm going to leave the stage to... Uh, Arundhati uh, to you now open up the session and give you overview of what it is and deep dive into this and give you
2: more understanding of the trends. Thank you. So, hi everybody, I'm Arundhati Desai, I work for FCA here in Michigan actually. And let me start with a brief introduction and then Prabha can introduce herself, come back again and introduce herself. So. Um, I, like I said, I've been working at FCA for about four and a half years now, and it's been a great time. Uh, FCA is a very happening place as far as technology goes, and uh, it really is helping me learn as well. If I have been, you know, uh, I have been working for more than 20 plus years in the IT industry now. Before that, I did a short time as an electrical engineer in a nuclear power station. So I have. A, uh, interesting uh, variety of experiences. It's uh, it's been a nice journey so far. I have two kids, um, and they they are both grown up now. So I'm at a point where I can now devote even more time, unlike I know Prabha, who is uh, who has little ones. And um, it, it's my kids have been you know uh, a great source of inspiration for me. I have a daughter, and as you know, women. For me, uh, women uh, in technology is a big deal. So I always encourage my daughter as well to be part of this uh, technology forum. My, um, in 2016, I received uh, the uh, special recognition award from this organization, and I really am uh, thankful because it, it means a lot. You know, I mean, especially for us, you know, women of color in STEM. This is an elite group in my mind and, you know, it it helps to be part of it and uh, be recognized. And uh, I I think my hobbies, as far as my hobbies, I love to play crossword and some nerdy games. (laughs) And my kids laugh at me all the time, but I love that. And then um, I also like to go hiking. I just recently actually uh, participated in the half marathon. so. I'm feeling very good about it, <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> the first one, so you did well, so I was very happy. That's a little about me, and I will come back, I'll let uh, Prava speak to uh, her mm, about herself, and I'll come back to give a brief outline of the mm, panel discussion that we're gonna to have today, and then we'll go into the panel discussion.
1: So, about me, uh, before I even come to myself, right, I have a small question for you. Uh, what is that one thing that is enabling the all the technology trends or advancements that are happening today? What is that one thing that really acts as a backbone for the industry advancements? Any guess Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's great. Yes, the data is being really the backbone of everything that is happening right now. Take it machine learning, or artificial intelligence, or blockchain, whatever. The data is behind it. And I'm Prabha. I work for NetApp, the data authority. <laughs> so uh, I'm proud to say that I work on the storage systems. Um, I'm mainly involved in qualifying and responsible for the delivering the quality products from NetApp. And I've been with NetApp for more than nine years now. And prior to that, I have been working on uh, various embedded systems uh, technologies, uh, be it um, medical equipments, or it could be the um, processor debuggers and many other things. I was part of Tata LXC prior to NetApp. And then this is about my industry experience. I actually entered to the industry uh, from the hardware. Um, working uh, with the hardware at a very low level, hardware components testing. And then I moved on to the embedded systems development and then slowly into the test engineering mainly. Um, This is about my professional work experience. And then coming to my personal, I live with my family and um, two kids. I have two boys and most of my time goes with them because they're still little and they really want my time. And apart from that, whenever I get time, I, I make sure I meet my friends and go out. And I take, and I take my kids along with me for the <laughs> wherever I go, because then I will not have to think about them when I go out. And then apart from that, whenever I get time, my other passion is nothing to do with the technology. Uh, it, I, I like fashion designing and embroidery too. So I spend some time there as well. So that's about me. Thank you.
2: So uh, we actually have a third panelist. I think she's running a little late, so she, she probably will join us later. Janice, and she can introduce when she, uh, herself when she's here. We'll, we'll go a little different than what we had originally planned, you know, just <laughs> based on how things, situations are. So let me start with uh, a brief outline about what the panel discussion is about today. Adapt or crash emerging technologies impact on today's can business? So actually, let me before we get into that, let's get to know the group a little bit. Who amongst us here are entrepreneurs or um, decision makers or strategy makers in their company? Okay, okay, and, um, and quite a few of us are also like maybe students, entry levels, uh, or you know other. Uh, very good. So uh, I hope we we'll all gain something from this discussion today. The second question I had was about who all are, uh, who all are from the IT field. Oh, oh overwhelming, majority! Okay. I love that. <laughs> so, I'm from the IT field too, so, and I know there is the scientists, the mathematicians and all those in STEM, not to forget about them. But I think today's discussion probably will be more focused on IT because that's the one thing that's really changing the world today. I, not to... <laughs> and then, okay, so... And who thinks that technology is changing very fast today? Oh, yes, right? (laughs) We all do. And you are absolutely right. So if you look at the trends, you know, in videos, we didn't have, you know, we had the VHS tapes and all that forever and ever. And then we moved into the DVDs. And from the DVDs, it took us hardly 10 years to move to the digital media. It's very rapid. We see the same with the Internet. We had no internet forever. And then we finally got the internet in, you know, 94 or so. Between uh, 94 and the slow internet phase, to the home broadband, it was hardly 10 years again. It's been very moving very rapidly. Same, I think phones, we cannot talk enough about the phones, how we were, you know, cell phones, we didn't have cell phones, and then when we had the cell phones, we had those bricks that we carried around. And, you know, I, I don't know, some of you may not remember those days, but for us, and we had those for maybe 10 years, and now we have cell phones that are like mini computers that we are walking around with. It's remarkable how things have changed and how rapidly they are changing. And that's the same thing. You know, we have to adapt in order for us to, be, to survive as was brought up earlier. So we all have heard of the Gartner Group. They, come, they have this concept called the hype cycle. The hype cycle is where they actually talk about uh, what technologies are you know, making waves this year, what technologies have, we thought were very promising but didn't live up to their, to, to their expectation, and then the ones that actually went through and you know, were, were productionized. For 2019, as you can see, they have a whole slew of technologies that they think are going to make an impact. And amongst them, chief amongst them, as we see, are the autonomous driving. I am from the auto industry, as you know. I, I will talk a little bit about auto, maybe more than the rest. So, uh, they are top... Talk- oh, hi, Janice. Hey, so, awesome. uh, we have the um, autonomous driving that's going to be uh, making waves this year so uh, there, and then there is a whole lot of uh, whole lot of the technologies that we have uh, they think will make a difference in the the most impactful they think will be in the sen- uh, sensing and mobility area again autonomous driving the uh, uh, drones uh, you know the mm, those are the things that will help with the mobility they are also talking about augmented human uh, technology which is which is essentially machines being more intelligent or feeling more emotion, you know, like the prosthetic arms that are going to be stronger than our human arms, or the skin our uh, skin that is more uh, sensitive than human skin, or you know and then they also talk about advanced analytics and um, you know we all know advanced analytics and AI and such, and I, I think we can talk on and on about that so I won't take too much time now so why do we think is it so what do we think about you know we all agree that technology is influencing how business is being done today so again going basing all these newer technologies how is it impacting business is what we are trying to see here and all we can see that all forms of business, be it hotels, be it retail, every one of us is actually autos in a big, big way, are rethinking our strategy and making sure that we are you know, keeping up to speed with what's happening today. You may ask, why now? What's happened to, that suddenly we are all talking about emerging technology and impact on, uh, on business? We have lived for so long with these 10-year plans and 15-year plans, so why now is it so important? I think we have reached a tipping point, in our, in the sense that you know when we had we had the uh, we have been working so long on the building blocks, let's say, and now they're all in place, and we are at a point where we can uh, build a house, build build things that are, that are going to be impactful. So mm, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, we are, all this technology is now at the fingertips of almost everybody. <laughs> You know, anybody can pick up stuff, anybody can uh, develop apps that can change the direction a major industry can move, you know, will have, will be impacted, I should say. For example, um, all the cloud storage, the um, easy access to different open source system, uh, a- applications, all those things are uh, making anybody really... Um, a, Come up with new ideas and new um, companies, so to say. So, let's take the example of auto. Like I said, in Detroit you will learn about autos a lot. <laughs> so, so, let's talk about autos. Mobility industry, like we uh, just said, is going to be majorly impacted because of the emerging technology. Traditionally, we had Profits that were made from first time sale of cars or after sales or um, even, uh, uh, you know, like uh, financing. Going forward, that's not going to be the traditional bread and butter. The profit margins are not going to be there. It's all about data. You know, the cars are going to collect huge amounts of data. We are going to have a lot of uh, things, uh, data to work through, gain insights. And it's going to be very exciting because we are going to be developing products that are going to be catered to with customer focus because of all the data that we collect. We'll know what what people want, how people drive. It's going to be a very mind, you know, a a big change for our industry. We also know that um, uh, the mobility industry, in the sense, uh, like Ubers and the Waymos of the world, they are going to be changing the way the big auto companies are doing business today. And same, you know, like, the auto companies are, you know, we, were, we have traditionally been the face to the customers, you know, and the suppliers supply the components and such, and the auto companies have been the big bosses, so to say. <laughs> and uh, going forward, it may be that we will be a supplier to, like I said, a Waymo, uh, um, like Google or somebody, who will actually be the face to the customer so this is a major change for our industry and we have to have to make sure that we are on top of it. We are also going to be very customer focused otherwise nobody will look for our cars and then the, again going back to the two way flow of data that's going to help us build better products so we have to be we will definitely be very majorly impacted. another one that I wanted to talk to today was Nokia, an example where I know um, we talk about changing and keeping on changing. Nokia actually has a very interesting example because they were a paper company. They moved to be a hardware company when they saw that the changes were you know, in, ha- in the uh, mobile phones and all came around. And they were, OK, let's make a change, make uh, sure that we are a hardware company now. And they, they were successful there as well. But things changed again. The hardware gave way to software, and they could not pivot the second time fast enough. So there is no room for complacency. That's the point, you know, that we have to be on top of our game. And it can't be a 10-year plan that we work towards and say, oh, we'll revisit it in 10 years. That will not work. There is also the example of Marriott and Airbnb. We have all heard about Airbnb now. It's a brand name to be reckoned with. Marriott took ever forever to build that brand airbnb took it, did it in a few years so again this is a case where uh, it didn't require like uh, for auto industries the autonomous vehicles and everything is a huge it is a significant technology change for airbnb and such it was mostly a person thinking oh what can i do how would home rentals work? And can you imagine? I, I, my personally wouldn't have even thought about this industry taking off, but they came came back with a business model, and they are now challenging a well-established hotel industry. So the hotel industry is now changing. They are now getting into the rental offerings. They are now making sure that their brands, you know, the, uh, the digital marketing that they are doing is changing. So every company, every industry is changing their way of doing business that's the point uh, we are trying to make here so in conclusion again every industry is changing we are going to be impacted there is going to be no, we cannot be complacent we are going to have to think if we are going to be the suppliers or we are going to mine the data ourselves and you know this is for every company not just autos we are going to have mine the data ourselves or sell it to some other companies and you know, make profits there. So it's going to be, a, um, every company will have to come up with that strategy. We will also have to be very customer centric and leverage the product and use data to make sure that we build better products. Um, any questions or can we wait for the questions for the panel? Uh, we could, we could wait maybe wait for the uh, panel discussion. But that's all I wanted to talk through today to give a brief overview of what the panel discussion would be about. Thank you. Um, I would like Denise to come up and introduce herself. I know she was uh, a few minutes late, Denise.
3: (laughs) She called me out on that.
2: (laughs) Good morning, everyone.
3: How are you? I'm going to ask that you move forward. There's there's some uh, excitement in the synergy For those of you who are lingering in the back, even if you have to leave a bit early, just move forward a bit. Because we are talking about innovation, we're talking about immersion, and through that, synergy builds, if you will. So no telling what may happen in this session if we have the right synergy. I know you've been comfortable, you heard the incredible overview and framework of our talk, adoption or crash in emerging technology. So thank you for that. Pardon my delay, I do apologize. There's some bittersweet to staying with family. I got too comfortable and, uh, and I've been traveling so much. I had a, a little something going on, congestion and what have you. So I was very much at home, if you will. Uh, so beg my delay, beg my pardon. So with, uh, in an introduction, I am the CEO of a data analytics company that actually develops business intelligence. So we use these emerging technology for whence you have uh, spoken about in regard to being able to capture the data, and now we can actually store it. And we can even take it further by using computer science, of course, in uh, developing our insights for business intelligence. So I have that company, as well as I'm an MD uh, managing director for a data analytics company that's off-site. Uh, in India, and I do the business development and some of the groundwork for that. I also have a STEAM company, so I work with young people. I've got incredible teachers, and I work with young people to get them excited about science, technology, engineering, mathematics, art, and music. So it really centers on the underserved. It brings in students of color because they find a place where we are. They find comfortability, they find security, and they can be themselves, which is awesome. I had—I have to tell you this quick story and then I need to sit down so we can have a panel discussion. But um, I had this incredible experience. The program's been running two years. Uh, the first year was a one-week pilot. And uh, that pilot allowed me to uh, get a sense of whether or not it would really work. And we're talking about testing and product this is why I'm engaging in this, this dialogue. So, with that said, the second year I said, okay, this is going. The students are interested. We picked up a contract with a school because one of the students that attended was there. So we have an after-school program now. Not just a science program, but an after-school program. And so this year was our our second year um, on the ground, our first full year for a two-week camp. And now they call it the Academy. The students renamed it. So I'm sharing with you how we're evolving in this disruption, if you will, of technology, because the students found value in what they were learning in addition to what they learn in a traditional setting. So with no further ado, Corning picked us up. So now we've got a 160 year old company that's pushing forward with technology. So that's that partnership, private partnership. So we'll talk more about all of this as the panel discuss. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. So I'd like to ask a question or two of my incredible panelists. I'm not the moderator. I'm also a panelist. So you may ask questions of me as well. So the first question will be uh, for Parma. Tell me uh, what is the actual, we're going to focus on some of your uh, incredible experience and wherewithal, because we had a, a wonderful conversation about what you're doing and where you're going, especially in India. So tell us what you're going to do with new systems that enable adoption in technology.
1: Right. So... Uh Definitely, I want to share my experience here, like how we were working 10, 15 years back when I joined the industry, and how do we uh, deliver our deliverables now? What are the new technologies that are really enabling us to do the work efficiently and uh, productively? So some of the emerging technologies, like, again, we ponder around data, right? Uh, The the commitment is the same, We are committed, but how we do is going to be different. That is the only difference here. So we have to be flexible to the change in how we do it rather than um, changing the focus on what we do. it. So that what we do is constant, but how we do is going to be different. Um, So when I look at the test engineering industry, earlier we used to, most of the things were to be done manually. Um, But now if we see, like automation has taken over. We we do automation in anything and everything, and we want to make it efficient and productive so that we have much more time in doing something productive and do it more efficiently than what we were doing earlier. It's not that we are uh, getting rid of the engineering forces there because we are moving into automation, but automation is enabling us to do more and more uh, so you can do all the mundane work in automations and spend more time in, uh, 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 you know, uh, getting something new out of what you are doing and uh, uncovering uh, uh, more from the products, right? So, so coming to that, how we, how I have uh, experienced change in test engineering, especially, we use lot of uh, data, and we can say it is. Um, yes. So sorry, some technology. Not pressed. <laughs> so we use a lot of backend data to understand how we need to approach this product testing. So uh, so the data is really helping us to uh, do it more uh, qualitative work rather than just grabbing everything and running for each and every release. So that is helping us save a lot of time there. Uh, so it is kind of data analytics you do and understand what kind of. Uh, Data you pick up for uh, the next project. So it is all about data and how you're going to structure and uh, use it. So that's a big change that I have seen in my um, work profession. I would also like Arandati to share her experiences in this space.
2: Yeah, so you're exactly right, Prabhav. Even for us you know, at FCA, it's been uh, quite a journey and even in my own experience i have seen so much change uh, in the last few years it's been um, so at fc actually we got a new cio recently uh, and she is a very dynamic lady and she's a, 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 a woman of color uh, so very proud <laughs> and uh, again she is um, her name is mamta uh, chamurti and uh, she is uh, changing the way we are thinking about our products, uh, how we do our projects, all those things. She's making us think, okay, we have traditionally been very product-centric uh, when we do our project. She has asked us, look, make sure that we are customer-centric. We are talking about, thinking about how we do, what we build uh, from a customer focus. Also, uh, you know, she and our CEO, Mark Stewart, both of them are very big on data democratizing data. And that's where my uh, project comes in, where uh, we, uh, we had, so to give an example, um, I come from the vehicle safety area, and uh, we had people actually, the investigators we call them, who dig deeper into what the issues are with the uh, products, why the warranty claims are coming in and stuff like that. And they go through, uh, they used to go through a number of source systems to uh, look for answers to look for clues to uh, solve these uh, issues that they are looking at. And um, it used to be a huge bother for them to be going and looking and uh, compiling all this data and trying to uh, bring it forward uh, with the proper analysis. Mm -hmm. And um, we actually built this uh, data lake where we, in the cloud, and we got all this data into one place, and we made sure that uh, the it becomes very easy now for the uh, investigators to do their investigations. At the same time, you know how customers are. You give them something, they want more. So uh, they have quickly forgotten that they where they were. They had started with, and now they want us to automate all this. Where <laughs> machine learning comes into play. That hey, can you just make sure that we bucket all these uh, similar claims into a small uh, into a into a uh, bucket that maybe already exists, or create another bucket? So here comes machine learning yes. so we are now building products uh, my projects are now taking on newer uh, flavors you know learning ai learning um, machine learning to go about and build this new stuff for the uh, for the users so that's where you know for my from my work experience i myself have seen this journey and it's very rapid you know i mean it's only in the last few years that we have done all this so now uh, again changing rapidly and going, moving on to newer stuff.
1: Thanks, Arundati. So now that we spoke uh, about uh, how we are changing the way we are working, I would like to ask Jenice to add uh, her experiences on what are the new systems that are available today so that it makes us uh, easy to adapt them, right? the technology, Certainly. how do we adapt?
3: So I look at it. I am an engineer as well. Uh, my PhD is in business, and I'm getting my second doctorate in information technology and human behavior and what so I'll take the thank you I'll take this side if you will or the position of looking at how individuals have evolved and how organizations because we're talking about impact on business and as a leader as a CEO sure. as a upper senior manager how many senior managers do we have in the room I know that there was a poll earlier so forgive me okay middle managers thank you So middle and senior managers, even if you're on the front line, you have to begin to think in the future. There have been mega trends that have been taking place for the last century, and more so in the last decade. So we have to think as leaders, our roles have changed. We have embarked upon a whole new game. So the organization structures have to be more agile. They definitely have to fulfill in a more human-centered, perspective, and even more so, we have to think about what's coming down the pike next. It's always that push of what is next. We no longer can be complacent. We no longer can leave our structure the way it is. So if if we have to be able to adapt and to pivot, if you will. So it's almost as though we're on a continuous cycle of learning, which I think is phenomenal because I'm a lifelong learner. So I would challenge you to do the same to be a lifelong learner, to and that's part of the system development, and that's part of your strategy as a leader and as a technologist, to think about what is coming next, to utilize your creativity and your skill set, your current skill set, but to also build upon that. Um, case in point, I heard uh, I had finished my graduate degree and everything, and, and I was just listening to a podcast or reading something at that point, and I had heard about this new technology of biotech. This was several years ago. And I thought, what is biotech? Hmm, the integration of technology and biology. You know, I'm thinking, well, what could that mean? And I was so fascinated, and this was when the genome was just announced. So I looked up who was actually teaching courses in biotech. It was a university. I live in California, in Silicon Valley. So it was the University of Santa Cruz. They actually have a genome center there. So this is before 21andMe, Ancestry.com, and all the like. And I thought, wow, I'm going to start taking classes. So I got a certification in biotech. And those are the kinds of things, as leaders, we have to continuously evolve. So I challenge you to do the same. And that to me is systems and developing our skill set to move into what is emerging technology.
2: So, Prabha, if if I may ask, um, would you like to talk something about advancement in computer vision? Sure. I know that Um, you have been working on this. uh, You have a lot of knowledge in this area, so I was hoping that we could share
1: this. The computer vision, when we say vision, it's like what we can see. But in terms of computer, what computer can see or sense is termed as computer vision, right? So there are a lot of advancements that are happening in this field. So whenever we talk about uh, um, emerging technology, uh, like especially for the entrepreneurs, they should be continuously on this uh, search of... um, continuously updated themselves to understand what is coming up and what do we have and how do we adapt and how does it even make a sense to my business, right? So this is one of the field I would suggest all of you to look at it if that is relevant to your business. If it, it might not be relevant. Every, every answer doesn't suit all the questions. Right? One answer doesn't suit all the questions I can say. So this is one of the field. It is rapidly changing uh, the computer vision where Uh, When we say vision of the computer, what it can see, what it can sense, is it able to recognize the objects around it or the people around it? So there are a lot of advancement happening. Uh, For example, I can say, uh, in the upcoming years, what we are expecting in this field is uh, that the vision of the computer is going to be more and more accurate. Like, for example, now it can sense temperature. Probably tomorrow, it can sense um, something else. Like now, it can sense there is an object. In the upcoming years, it, it can sense what object is that and what part of the object is face or what part of the object is leg or whatever. So, so those kind of technological advancements are really feeding into the, uh, say, Google image search. So that is built upon that. So that is one of the use case we can think about. Uh, in how we can really make use of the computer vision advancements. And then I could think of another use case where uh, in the supply chain, in the industries, we can adapt it to understand the defective parts easily. You can um, eliminate the human presence there and make use of this artificial intelligence along with the computer vision to... um, identify the defective parts and remove it from the supply chain. That is one another use case we can think about. Mm. And then also you can um, uh, make use of so much of that, in, especially in the autonomous uh, driving, um, right? That, that, that is completely built upon sensors. So, the more and more advancement we see in this field, the more and more it is going to be smooth for the autonomous driving industry to evolve in their um, field. So, these are some of the use cases I can think about. So, for for each and every technology of each and every business that we are involved, we need to continuously look at how it is evolving and what suits me. Uh, is it really th- that is something that I'm, I'm looking for and what are the steps I need to take or when is it really important for me to switch? So here it is like we are talking mostly about adoption. That is when it is coming, you are adapting when it comes. And you are looking forward uh, like you're, wait- you're really waiting. But I would suggest, um, to be frank, as a technologist, this, this suits for businessmen, right? That you are going to adapt. But as a technology leaders, you should think about more than adaption. You should be the change uh, uh, maker. You, you are the one who should bring the change, and you should actually think of how you can transform and enable the other tech industries uh, to go to the next level. So it is adaptation, and then the next level is transformation. So in any field, we have to, as a technologist, I would suggest we have to look at those lines.
0: You're listening to Adapter Crash, emerging technologies impact on today's business. A professional development seminar featuring Arundati Desai, Janice Farisimani, and Prabhamani. Brought to you by the Women of Color STEM Conference. Uniting women in STEM by continuing the press for progress. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
1: This is what I could say about this. Please add up on if I missed. I mean, if you have any other experiences around this.
3: Well, I think of smart people. We're smart people, right? Yes, we're technology or technology related. So we're smart people, and and in saying that we're smart people, we not only have adapted, but we're adopting those technologies. And with that said, I believe that there are two aspects that are very, very critical to to that, which have been spoken to, but we can dive in a little bit deeper, is looking at it being from a human-centered perspective. Let's just call it what it is, and part of that is making sure that that adoption is something that you're actually adapting correct, in your workplace and in your lives. So there was a, and I'll give you the second point, and then I'll tell you a little story. The second point is actually the education is key and knowing how it benefits and what those risks are. So getting to the example, the adoption and adaption. I had just met someone here, Jovan, um, a few days ago at the conference. And it was so interesting. We had a great heated discussion about autonomous vehicles and whether or not we should actually uh, buy into it, and and what is society doing? Because there's pushback with technology, and it's not always accepted. Um, and there's this situation. So let me tell you about Javon. So Javon and I were just having this discussion, and she was saying how uh, she had mentioned to some individuals about autonomous vehicles and how that's not going to happen. We're in the Motor City, you know, and and if anything, we need a motor, we need gasoline, we need the highway, you know, and everything is good. So Javon was saying how many people have said, it's not going to happen, blah, blah, right? And I said, well, did you, how did you actually get them engaged? Did you get them on your side, or what do you think as a technologist? And she says, well, I believe that it's going to happen. And there are various levels, of course, of self-driveless cars, right? Um, and we can talk about that in depth if there are any questions. And so, I, and so she said, well, I believe it's gonna happen. So I said, well, what did you do to actually change their minds? And she said, well, I began to think about the elderly. And I talked to them about how they could actually remain independent. And they could actually call a car, have the car come pick them up, and then they could go to their doctor's appointments, grocery store, visit a girlfriend, and then come home without calling their kids. What a concept. And she said, yes, and when I started sharing that, they began to say, hmm, there's something to this. There is a benefit to this. And we know that there are risks, of course, but there truly is a benefit. And with that said, they began to think, well, this is something potentially that maybe I could get behind, maybe at the lower levels, the one, two, where you can actually use it to assist you to park, or something of that nature. But when you start getting into the three, four level of autonomous vehicles, then there's suspect. So it's a very contentious issue, obviously. But it's something that you can begin to educate individuals on the technology and not to be fearful, but to use it in a very positive way. I had another situation, I was flying uh, to Europe last week, I was sitting next to an older woman. She was about 75 years old. And she said, well, what are you going to Europe for? You're going on a vacation? And I said, yeah, after I speak. (laughs) So um, it was a, a great dialogue, and we were identifying places to visit, of course. But then I began to say, I'm speaking about AI technology at ITU World. And she said, well, what is AI? Ooh, open ears. So I began to share with her what artificial intelligence was. And she said, well, I hate my phone. You know, I hate being able to, I have to use a mobile as opposed to going to a desktop and actually desktop phone. And remember those? (laughs) And actually dial someone's number. But then she said, you know, my my grandchildren always ask to see me. So she was having issues with the rapid use and adoption of technology by her grandchildren. But then I began to tell her about the other things her phone does. And she says, hmm, this is interesting. So that leads to my second point of education. And if we are able to educate individuals on exactly how these tools, how these technologies can actually benefit them, I believe that they will not only adapt, but they will adopt them into their lives and inculcate them into their lives where they become extremely comfortable with them and they can utilize them. And it's, and it's a phenomenal. I mentioned uh, visiting, my visiting my mother, I shouldn't say my grandparents, my grandparents used to live here too, but visiting my mother and her house is teched out. It's amazing. I said, what is that ring? She says, oh, there's someone at the door. She has ring, she doesn't have to get up. She checks to see who it is, if she wants to receive them or not. And um, her phone is right near her. She uses FaceTime. Um, I was having issues I was sharing with my my colleagues here. I was uh, trying to find her Wi-Fi, and she says, oh, hand me your computer. (laughs) So if they are able to understand it, they will adopt it in their lives, because they can see the benefit. I think we have a question.
4: Yes. Yeah, so, so um, my name is Julie Williams-Bird, and I work at NASA Langley Research Center, which is in Hampton, Virginia. I am the center's chief technologist, which is not specifically IT technology, but all the technologies that we do at NASA Langley specifically. So my, my question to you, and to kind of pull on a little bit about the education part, is the usability of all of these technologies, right? And so when we talk about self-driving cars, There's a lot of different, you know, detectors that are going to be on the cars and the data that's going to come off on them to make sure that the cars are safe. Yes. And so when we talk about these different technologies and you guys develop these technologies and you have all of this data, how do you measure the use of the people actually using it? Right. Because if they don't use it, then the business goes away. Correct. And so what are some of the tools that you use to either probe or survey or make sure that People can use these, whether it's phone or or, or autonomous cars or software or artificial intelligence to make sure that people can grasp them and use them. Because without the usability, without the people actually using it, then it's it's just, you know, kind of a waste of time.
3: Well, again, it's human-centered design. If you're looking at it from a human-centered design perspective, the idea is the old community. I call it the old church. You have to know what the needs are of the people in order to actually fulfill those uh, product design um, attributes that would meet their particular benefit. So, and, and that's in the design, that's in the discovery phase before you get to design, but as part of the design component, if you will. So if you have an understanding of, and you, that means touching, feeling, surveying, going out and speaking to people. When PCS was coming to San Francisco, I was actually one of the engineers for that. And part of my role was to actually go out into the community and to meet with people in small group settings, to talk about some of the risk factors, to um, engage them in what it looked like physically, because they, we were placing antennas into their community, um, and what those benefits would be, and as well as the risks. But it's engaging people on the ground level, in the discovery phase. And that's what I mean by human-centered design.
4: Even after the product is developed, you still do testing and you still use tools to figure out if they Well,
3: if we're talking working. about emerging right. as opposed to existing. Mm-hmm. But the current, and that's in an emerging format uh, or process system, if you will. But in current, I would say uh, it would be that, that latter or that second component, which is the education. In Dubai, they actually tested two years ago self-driving cars, and that was strictly an education opportunity for a bid to put autonomous cars in their incredible mall they have in Dubai. And um, that allowed for them to see the risks as well as the benefits. They also uh, put out a self driverless cars. I know we're focusing on cars a lot, but there are... AI and technology, in particular, goes across all industries. By the way, Um, in particular, in Walnut Creek, California, they also test it there. And I live in Silicon Valley, and right in the hub, if you will, of self-driving cars. Self driverless cars, so I'm constantly behind a testing car, and I'm going, get out of my way. (laughs) I know you're mapping, uh, you know, you're you're doing all of this, so we are indirectly engaged in what they are actually putting together, so it's a direct and an indirect, and also the education component, I think, is critical, because we knew about the driverless cars that were going on in Walnut Creek. There were comments about it, whether they were good or bad, but there's still that engagement factor in the community, which is key. And getting the feedback for existing technologies, I think is critical. I hope I answered your question. Thank you very
2: much. And if I may add to that, actually, um, given that, uh, so we don't have an autonomous car today. I mean, FCA doesn't, but when we do, what we intend to do, so we've developed KPIs with a, uh, to make sure that we are actually tracking things that we are interested in finding out later. And we also are going to make sure that when we collect the data, we will see how the, uh, use, how the population is, go- is using it. If it is using it, to your point, you know, how do you know? If so that data will tell us if, mm-hmm. they, if people are using it the way we expect them to, or are they uh, trying to do something different that's yes. you know, uh, going to help us Again, develop a better product. So that's what our thought process is. So, again, data is king. We have to yes. make sure that we have to mine it right.
3: Those key performance indicators
2: are huge. Absolutely. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Uh,
5: or good afternoon, I guess. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Jerry Yave. I'm from uh, Siemens PLM Software out in Cypress, California. Um, so, uh, actually, the, my question was uh, a little bit earlier from. Uh, when prabha was uh, talking but one of the things that i wanted to quickly make a comment of, about the question too was um I c- it came to mind that uh, a lot of the new cars today uh, they come with uh, connected technology so that actually drivers can opt in and and provide some of those metrics like driving metrics themselves like if they enable you know some analytics on their car they can mm-hmm. do that so a lot of the new cars today they're, they're all connected right they, they give Data back on like where drivers are going, how fast they're going, and all of those while the driver is actually doing it, so, so that you can help train so, you know the future uh, driverless cars. Right. Know, so that we we also have an ability to contribute to the data pool ourselves as the manual drivers to make sure that you know we're training via the non <laughs> the non human drivers in the future. Uh, so. Thank you thank you uh, for, for prava um, so I'm also in QA um, in our software department we recently just started a, a group of developers in the QA um, department because of what you were talking about you know going more into automation from doing a lot of the manual steps now we're doing a lot more you know coding and automation providing tools so uh, my group actually we, we code the tools for the yeah. QA team and developer team. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the challenges that we have is we have a small team of developers in QA, and we still have a larger organization of traditional QA, is what I call it, the people mm-hmm. who do the manual testing. Yeah. And uh, you know they've been doing that for like 20, 30 years, right? It's like how they've always tested the product, and now you know we're coming up with new tools, new ways of testing, and uh, they need to learn more about. More coding, maybe, uh, but not so much like a developer. But um, so, can you share about like some of the things that you've tried to like uh, uh, give them a, a easier transition into using more of the tools rather than like uh, doing all of the things manually? That's yeah, that's a great things.
1: question. Thank you for asking that. Um, right, as uh, we have to take as much as possible from what we can do from the automation, so that it helps us free up, uh, do more uh, user-centric uh, scenarios, like more of use cases, actual use cases. right? So we have to identify where we really get the ROI, return on investments, like I don't want to automate something that I'm not really reusing many times. Uh, so that I, to reap the good results out of automation, we need to understand exactly how we want to automate this and what tools we need to use for that. Um, like, as you said, uh, not all the automation really requires uh, too much of uh, coding uh, uh, understanding because it, it really depends on what kind of application you're automating and to what extent you're automating. Uh, so if it is web-based, we we have a lot of good tools, uh, readily available tools that anybody can um get uh, used to it very quickly and uh, use it like if it is web based or gui based application automation but if it is something to do with your automating your embedded systems or uh, that is related to the cli or any apis test automation then obviously some coding is required so there uh, the key to get good results out of automation is to understand what what exactly you want to automate how do you prioritize but in like you have thousand test cases and you want to prioritize what is those critical things that you want to automate such that uh, you can make use of that code every time you make a fix for example so we don't want to um, since we have these systems in place we can be sure if we are every time i'm checking in a fix and i'm running these suit automation suit I'm very confident. Okay, it is not really breaking anything else, and everything is intact. So the key is to identify what we need to automate, and then go in steps slowly. If we take up everything and we end up, uh, we end up nowhere. Probably we might not be able to get what we want. So we need to really understand to prioritize there and go there slowly. That's what I would prefer. And like if we want to make use of the same engineering resources for automation as well, that might not really work out very well, because they might not be experts in these automation skills. So what I have seen in my experience is it is always good to have a a separate team for automation, dedicated automation team, because otherwise we end up debugging the automation issues (laughs) rather than product Mm. issues. So it is always good to have a separate team there. Did it answer your question?
3: that's cross-functional right yeah but someone that's cross-functional so they'll know what the other programs or departments are doing within the organization depending upon the size yeah it's awesome
6: hi so lifelong learner right here I'm on a team where I'm the most technical person and I get a lot of comments when I'm trying to adapt before our department crashes (laughs) so I'm taking this from a little different perspective if you guys don't mind Um, you guys are highly respected in helping to change your orgs and getting those people to adapt. So, how can I encourage my team to adapt before we crash?
2: I can I can uh, no. start and of course Prabha and Ginny can add to it. So, um, very good question first of all because it's always always a challenge. Not only is it a challenge from a pers- uh, from the people perspective but also a, um, cost perspective and all those because when I go to the, to my management or leadership to say, you know, I need money to uh, do to adopt this new technology that's so promising, everybody t- tells me, okay, you have to prove it before. So it's a catch twenty two, right? So um, one of the things that I have noticed is, like we talked previously, there is a lot of open source uh, um, things that uh, that are available today. What I try to do is, you know, do like a small POC or being, uh, you know. Uh, We also engage, uh, that's one uh, idea, you know, that, okay, I put a couple of people on that uh, part-time. I know that nobody has the time to do uh, the whole thing, but maybe part-time and just prove something out that, okay, if we do this, this will benefit the end user in this way. So a targeted POC. And that helps actually a lot of times because when they see, oh my goodness, this changes so my uh, work, uh, so so for, for the better, people do tend to listen the second thing that we do is actually this is um, not always possible but a lot of times like if we are making a major shift we will engage the um, engage the vendor suppliers you know like the partners like we are doing a, a POC with Google right now again it's a POC but you know a, a, but it's a much bigger one that we are trying to prove out okay if we have something that's uh, that we want to change we want to you know like machine learning uh, uh, Google is very good in certain technologies that we would like to adopt. So we will go approach Google and say, hey, can you help us run this thing uh, and see if we can benefit from it? So they, they do help us with uh, things like that. So that's one way that I, I feel demonstrating what can be achieved is much more powerful than just you know, PowerPoints. I know we are talking PowerPoints here, but I, I feel that that has helped my, in my area at least.
3: I know that's brilliant. I think the digital storytelling, um, having a case study or some analysis or something of that nature is always helpful. But I was also thinking, as you were asking, how large is your group?
6: My group is about 10 people, and so the rest of my company is adapting to these um, technologies like Python and all this stuff way before my team does. So I'm a data analyst at NetApp. For example, I work in renewals. And what happens is there's a whole other team that's working in AI kind of coming into our space, rightfully so, because we need it. Because we don't have enough people on our team who are willing to learn Python, who are willing to go and get that AI learning and go and do. Right now we have one. And I can't convince anyone else on my team to join me and before we get, like before you crash pretty much <laughs> or get engulfed by the other team pretty much what, yes, yeah yes, yes. It, it's a it's a case where they're willing to to use the python scripts that i've created but i can't create all of our team's automation and be the only one so it's getting that encouragement to get them to also be a lifelong learner seize the opportunity and adapt before our team is non-existent
1: Exactly. Since I'm working in the same uh, organization, I can add up to that to some more extent. Um, Yes, you brought up that good point, right? When they are uh, transitioning from one technology to another, in in your case, Perl to Python, it's not easy and straightforward. It is not going to be smooth. You can't one day switch from all Perl scripts to Python scripts, right? Mm. So we have to plan in in those cases, first understand what is that that is fitting into my team, whether is it really ready for me to adapt. I don't want to now say, okay, I adapt and change my scripts and I'm nowhere because I don't have the required infrastructure or the libraries or the support available for my team to do that, right? So the approach we took is we work with the teams, whoever is uh, building those uh, technologies within NetApp. So we uh, work with them the timelines and give them our requirements to make sure the transition is smooth and then slowly switch on to the new uh, libraries. So that's how we approach to adapting to the new um, you know, whatever process or the scripting language, which is new for us, right? So it has to be smooth. So that um, brings up to me to uh, to share some more uh, some more experiences uh, in the same lines, like how do we adapt? What is that we need to really think of uh, uh, to understand? Am I really ready? What is uh, is it really good? And for me, there are four things that we need to really look at when whenever, whenever we are adapting to a new thing, new technology. Um, All the four things might not be applicable to all the use cases, but most of them. For example, when when I'm adapting, especially in the business use cases, if I'm adapting to a new trend, for example, blockchain, cryptography. So I need to mainly understand how secure it is. I can't just go to any vendor and say, okay, uh, this is the trend that is coming in, and I'm going for that. So we need to do a lot of evaluation, like Arundhati said, um, in order to understand, is it really secure for me to go for it? What are the security algorithms or the cryptography or encoding that they are really using in their uh, um, uh, offerings? Uh, and how safe it is? Am I, am I giving my data in safe hands? That is one part of it. And then the compatibility comes into picture. Okay, what is it required for me to adapt to this? If I have to install new systems, are are they going to be compatible with my existing infrastructure? Or I have to scrap everything and then move on to this new infrastructure? If that is so, is it going to give me an ROI that is required for me? If I'm investing so much in scrapping out everything I have and I'm moving to this technology, what is the ROI? Is it working out for me? And the compatibility should be both Previ- to the previous and what is coming up. We know what is coming up in the technology trends. So we have to also look at whether it is future proof. Now I go for SSDs because they are um, faster than the hard drives because SSDs are picking up. And all, almost the, this extinct, I, can, I could say, with the NVMe coming up and uh, NVMe over, over fabric and all those things. but. If some of them wants to look at SSDs, they need to understand really whether it is future proof. Um, How am I going to transition from SSD to whatever is coming up, say NVMe drives? Is the same uh, vendor is going to support me with that? So that is the future proof I'm thinking about when I'm adapting to a new technology. And then the last but not the least cost that really matters. Again, cost to the ROI. We have to understand how is it um, going to fit into my budget. So those are some of the factors we need to really understand before adapting.
3: You. Well, you. as the lead, can I just comment very quickly? Um, you as the lead person, the most technical person on the team. I would suggest, do you use an agile format in your team? They're still in waterfall. Oh, that's the problem. And so, we're in Excel,
6: not, I brought Python forward. They're still doing everything manually in Excel. okay. Oh, my. <laughs> Hence why I'm like, are we going to, like, crash? Because no one else is learning the Python. No one else is, like, okay. taking well, that next step. And that step. leads,
3: to, this is why I'm asking the questions, because it, it in my thought process is um, that it is actually an organizational and it's um, higher, it's from the top. So yeah. I would suggest, this is just my suggestion, as a leader to go to your direct report and to mention to he or she how you would like to evolve your particular team. And in doing that, you're, yes,
6: I'm not even a manager. I'm just on the team. You can still be a
3: leader. You don't have to be with the title manager. You are a lead on your team because you are a top technologist. Say, I am a leader. I am a leader. I am a leader of my team. I am a
6: leader of my team.
3: I am a technologist.
6: Oh, no, that I will agree with. I'm a data nerd. <laughs> I am a technologist. I am a technologist. OK, with that bridging, you
3: have the wherewithal, you have the skill, you have the I'm empowering you to empower yourself to take control of your team and to go to your direct report and say, I want to evolve our team. I see okay. our. we're going to crash. You can say, I attended a session that if we do not, you can put it on us and say that if we do not adopt, we will crash. And I believe that we need to e- are you hearing me? I am. I'm giving you you are consulting. Yes. I will charge you afterward.
6: But the bottom
3: line is, is that you your team needs to adopt. Yes, we do. OK, so they need to adopt to what is currently being used in technology and it is agile. Agile, you could even have an Agile Scrum person come and work with your team. Or you can go online, whatever you need to do to actually take hold of that and to adapt your particular team, adopt the Agile format to evolution because they're not there yet. And that's, part, that's where your problem is.
6: Yeah, and you I know. always get back that I'm trying to automate them out of a job. And I keep trying to say, no, if you learn Python, You'll still have a job. <laughs> like, please, actually, help God help us out. it makes them more.
3: <laughs> that's. I did a panel. Um, you were in the panel. Um, human productivity. Uh, they need to learn that in order to actually keep their jobs. So, you know, there's lots of things we can talk offline. Correct, but I would strongly suggest going to your your chain of command, if you will, and and uh, reformulate what you're doing with your team. Thank you. You're welcome. We spent a lot of time, but I, I'm saying on that particular question, but that it tells us that as we adopt and adapt in technology, we do need to be those leaders in our organizations and on our teams to move them forward in the adoption.
7: Um, hi, everyone. Thank you again for a great conversation. Uh, so I'm Harman. Um, I'm from Siemens PLN Software. Actually, Jerry uh, is my manager. and. Uh, I am one of the engineers in quality uh, uh, automation framework we are creating. So my question is actually direct for Prabha. (laughs) It's probably very specific. Uh, So we are creating this automated framework, right, for quality uh, for our application. And the thing is, um, you actually said that you use data analysis to uh, identify the use cases for uh, for creating this framework, right? So our framework is kind of very new because we are creating, so our application, we are working on NXCAD application we do. So we, uh, so like it's huge product and we are kind of now uh, changing it to cloud. So it's kind of new and uh, so, but one of the issues are not issues, but challenges we face is, so while we are creating it, uh, there are like, um, we don't want to do a lot of free work. So, while well, validation, right? Uh, we have this, like, okay, but this team comes up with th- that. Hey, I don't want to validate this, and I don't want like my f- um, like test cases to fail because of this. Like, I want, I don't want you guys to remaster my um, like files because of this uh, um, like validation failure. So we have to adapt, of course, as the teams are kind of coming up uh, to us as we actually are giving them this uh, automated framework. But I want you to know, because I've not done or we have not Question. done anything data analysis. So I want to know how do you guys, like, if you can give an example, like, you probably understood exactly what I'm saying because you are working in that. So how do we, if we can actually use some of these tools or, like, to do data analysis, like, what exactly do we need to do? Or if you can give me an example, how did you use the data analysis tool mm-hmm. to create this quality automated framework?
1: i was actually talking about the um, uh, the testing approach but not exactly the automation but yes we can relate to that um, in in any case uh, you have to understand what are the data um, generation points for your uh, analysis right what is the data that serves as an input for you to analyze so forget about the tools but we need to first understand what from where all you can collect the data, so that you can put together and make it more uh, sensible to get something out of it. So for us, for example, uh, in, in test engineering, what we do is we have data from multiple sources, like um, from our own test execution, what are the bugs we'll raise, and what is coming in from the field, and how it is doing, how each test is doing in different releases so we we have tools to collect all this data and then we apply formulas on top of it and algorithms on top of it to fetch good um, good uh, data points from that so probably in your case when you say that people come back to you and ask for different behaviors right for different teams so are you actually um, Collecting that data in some kind of tool or it goes very uh, informally? Yeah, for the analytics to happen, you have to have data, uh, something to start with. Then only you will have a good uh, understanding of what is going on and then collate everything and then you will get a clear picture of it. Otherwise, it would be mostly sometimes it becomes perception. It might not be. So it's always good to start with how we collect data and then start working on that.
3: I just if I can just add, it's in the modeling, in the development of the model itself. So you have um, criteria that you're going to actually speak to, and that will keep it honed into the data that will be aggregated and classified and actually utilized. It's the aggregation. Yes. That's what I spoke of. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this will be our last question. We actually have one
8: minute left. Awesome. Awesome. Sorry. Um, and Jenice, you may be able to answer this quickly, because you did talk about artificial intelligence earlier in this session, and I missed that, unfortunately. But so we're talking about all of the automations and the machine learning and all these things. Who is responsible? Because we've talked about adaptability, getting the teams to change, the workforce changing. So who's the primary responsibility? Is it the individual to prepare for the change so that we don't crash? Or crash, or, or, or is it the company's uh, responsibility to prepare the workforce for the change? And if it's the company's, which is because I'm trying to do some research on this because uh, my company, which is Lido's. We are a contract-based company, so we bid our contracts on people. If we automate all of that and it goes away, does our profit go down by 10% if our work staff goes down by 10%? So how do we maintain our staff and still move forward with the things so that we don't crash and get taken out? So there's a lot of layers there. that, but if you could just speak to mainly, whose responsibility is it to make sure we don't crash? Is it the individual because her team doesn't want to move forward, or is it a company that requires them to move forward or, of course, I think it's going to be a joint one, but who drives the initiative? Very,
3: very good. Just very quickly, and I wish we could spend time. That's an entire session, which I love. I love. Actually, I want to note that afterwards. We can recommend it. Uh, very quickly, and I, and I know you... Why don't you speak on that, and then I'll, That's I'll try okay. to... You,
8: you
2: can
3: just do. very quickly, to say I believe, as a CEO of a data company that drives innovative technologies and works on existing technologies, I recommend that it comes directly from the leadership. Period, point blank. As I mentioned, all the leaders within the organization, this is a new day. This is a restructuring of how we do business and how business is done. And at the end of the day, yes, it is a joint because people will opt out. They will say, well, I don't want to adapt. But, and there will be retirees that will continuously kind of fall by the wayside as well. But all of that to say, um, it, it should be driven by the organization, by the leadership themselves, to know what is coming down the pike. But uh, there will be a joint partnership with the individuals within the organization. But I'm thinking that within the organization, I, I really want to talk about this, but um, <laughs> due, to, yeah. due to the lack of time, within the organization itself, there needs to be um, systems put in place. There needs to be education put in place. There needs to be partnerships, private-public uh, partnerships that allows for the companies to thrive. And uh, that's a, it gets to the point of survival. And that's how a company should actually look what they should look toward is the survival and the uh, being uh, sustainable and as a sustainable goal for their particular organization.
8: Well, and your point of the, you know, it was you that said the, the driver's cars for the illness, but then you're going to have Uber and Lyft are going to fight you because that takes them away because I can take them But you life.
3: know what? There's enough market okay. that competition is a good thing. And as an entrepreneur, I highly recommend competition because it keeps you on your game.
1: That's how Uber has to understand how they need to adapt that in their business. Right. So they need to think about it because so these
2: things keep coming. (laughs) But I will add to that, that even though we say that the companies are responsible, it's also the individual who can drive some change. Maybe within their sphere of work, but at the same time, because I've seen it personally. You, if you propose good solutions or good ideas, to your point, let's go with Python, talk to your manager, say, let's have some uh, sessions for Python so that we can talk to uh, and train more people. Let them, it's not easy, but at the same time, they will get skills that will be more marketable too. So for right. them, we have something to say, and for uh, the management, there is also something to be gained. So for the individual also, there are things that we can do within our sphere of experience.
3: And thank you for attending Adopt or Crash thank emerging you. Emerging Technologies Impacting Business. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Adapt or Crash, Emerging Technologies Impact on Today's Business, a professional development seminar featuring business process manager for Fiat Chrysler Automobiles Quality Vehicle Safety and Compliance, Arundati Desai, Janice Farah-Samani of the Farah-Samani Group, and Senior Engineer for NetApp, Prabhamani. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Women of Color STEM Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.womenofcolor.net. For college students, contact us at 410 244 7101